Welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Simon Stokes. If I haven't met you at this point, I would love to meet you. And I especially want to say, if you're a first-time person here, um, welcome. Uh, we're really glad that you're here, um, especially here at the end of the semester almost. Um, thank you for driving this way and coming to be a part of our community for a night. And we hope that this is a place where you can ask questions about uh, God, about yourself, about the world. Um, where you can have people who sincerely listen to you and offer some maybe real help and some real answers. Um, if there's anything that I can do for you, I'd love to talk with you and um, hear you out on some of these things and walk beside you in whatever way that I can. Um, this year, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's teaching on what does it look like to be a disciple? Um, what does it look like to follow God, to know God, to experience the Christian life? It's basically Jesus's take on what it means to know him and to be with him and Uh, It's essentially an invitation into life with Jesus and life with one another. And because it is this invitation into a full life, it kind of falls into uh, what is called wisdom literature in the Bible. Uh, It it shows you how to live wisely in the world. And that's not as much of a science as it is an art. Um, There's not like a specific game plan that he gives you of like you do X, Y, and Z, and then, man, you've knocked it out of the park. But what he's giving you is he's giving these big principles. It's kind of like if you were to play sports like basketball or soccer or something like that, that you need to be really good at the fundamentals. And if you're good at things like shooting and dribbling uh, and you can do those fundamentals really well, you'll be a pretty good player. Why is that? Because games aren't scripted out, right? Like even when you try to script things out with like a player or two, those things are more of a general plan. It's not choreography. But the best sports are played when someone is great at fundamentals and knows how to do those things excellently. And in the same way, what Jesus has given you is the fundamentals of life with him. Because the best life is lived when someone knows those fundamentals. And Jesus is inviting you into that life with him. So that's a lot of what the Sermon on the Mount is. All right, so kind of moving into things. Uh, I am the oldest of three brothers. And I have a brother who's a year and a half younger than me. And another one who's five years younger than I am. And the one who's a year and a half younger than I am, uh, he and his wife lived in Virginia for a few years. Uh, and they had this really steep carpeted staircase in their house. And at some point along the way, he somehow fell down the staircase. And he was okay, but he got up and his leg was hurting. And it kept hurting and hurting and hurting. And finally he goes to the doctor and he's like, look, my leg is, is kind of hurting. And the doctor, you know, probably seen tons of, you know, 30-ish year old men coming in, uh, says, you know, like, are you sure it's not an ACL, not an MCL? Were you playing sports? My brother's like, no, I don't think it's my knee. I wasn't playing sports. Uh, And they keep asking and doing all these questions. And finally what they do is they put him on an MRI machine and they scan him. And they scan him at like the deepest level that you can scan somebody, right? It's like the electrons in your body and making this very tight, high resonance image and what they found was that when he'd fallen down those stairs, he hadn't hurt his knee, he hurt his hip. And he had to get a hip replacement done. He's like 35 years old. But they would have never known that if they hadn't scanned him at the deepest level that you can scan a person. And in a similar way, Jesus' words here are, are coming into our lives and they're scanning us. That you and I have places in our lives where we hurt And we don't know why we hurt. We have things that we feel disconnected from. And we don't know why we're disconnected. There's all these things in our heart. The deepest level of who we are. And Jesus' words are digging down into our hearts. And they're asking these questions. of Why do we feel disconnected? 
Why do we hurt in the ways that we hurt? Because in order to really heal us, Jesus has to look deeper in us than we'd like to go. He's got to look past our surface words and surface actions and actually deal with our hearts. As he does so, he's going to show you things that you never knew were there, but which have been affecting you the entire time. And so I want to say as we get into this that, I mean, the more you preach on stuff, the more you feel exposed. And this whole sermon is just the pot calling the kettle black because this is certainly the case. Like, this is not a successful Christian telling you how to be more successful. This is a sinner telling you where to go for mercy Um, because I really struggle a lot with anger. But I want to break this uh, down into three points. I'm going to break it down to the heart of anger, the effects of anger, and what to do with our anger. The heart of anger, the effects of anger, and what to do with our anger. So I'm going to read this passage, pray for us, and we get going. This is Jesus' words. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let me pray for us when we get going. Um, Jesus, these are hard and heavy words. And they, Lord, penetrate deeply into our hearts. They scan us. They expose things in us. Um, but Lord, I pray that however deep you cut, um, Lord, that you would heal. God, that you are the good physician. And uh, we come under your hand tonight, um, not to be hurt, but in order to be made whole. I pray that you'd be with us and you guide us in that tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So Jesus starts off and he says, you know, you've heard that it is said, but I'm going to say this to you. And what he's doing is he's probing into the intent behind the scripture. He's doing something that only the person who wrote the book gets to tell you, which is what the author intended when he wrote it down. And as he does so, he's getting to the heart of what God intended with this command of not to murder. You see, Jesus wants more from us in our outward performance. What he wants is to get all the way into who we are. It's like the difference for us between like learning things for a test and kind of cramming them in there and learning things because you love them. Like when you learn something for a test, you learn it with the hopes of, you know, I guess I'll like cram this in, study as hard as I can, and then just be done with it. But when you learn something because you love it, it sinks deep into your heart. And that's how Jesus is pushing us here, is to actually invest with our hearts in what he's saying. We also need to hear what Jesus is not doing in this. He's not condemning all anger. Uh, There are places in Scripture that talks about righteous anger. It talks about anger against injustice. It talks about that God feels angry over the injustice and the evil and the destruction of the world. You know, at one point in the Gospels, Jesus sits in the temple and he makes a whip out of cords so he can drive people out of the temple because they'd set up these booths to sell uh, sacrificial animals. And in setting up these booths, they had not created the space for people to come in and worship that needed to come in and worship. And he's angry about that. There's righteous anger. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about anger that leads to unrighteousness and sin. But anger in itself is not inherently sinful. So how's he getting our hearts in this? 
What he's doing is he's exposing our anger and its effects. Look, I don't know about you, but you know, we can feel like we're pretty nice people and think that because we're, not, not, we're nice people that we're not angry people. That we hide our anger from ourselves and from others. And some of us you know, are really angry, but we don't let ourselves think that we're angry. We hide it. I mean, are you ever sad with yourself because you don't like the way you look or what you said or you tried something and you failed or you didn't try something and so nothing that you wanted to happen and you just feel really passive? Are you ever sad about those things? Do you know what's on the other side of sadness? It's anger. Like, I'm not just sad that things didn't work out. I'm mad at me or I'm mad at you. I'm mad at the people who got in my way. I'm mad at the people who went for it and they got it. Or I'm mad at the people who made me feel like a failure. Like sadness and anger go hand in hand. It's like, have you ever had um, someone that's really close to you get broken up with? Or maybe you've gotten broken up with? And like, it's like they're cycling between sadness and anger. Like one minute they're like, they're grabbing the tissues and they're just like crying and they're undone. And the next minute they're just like raging against the person who broke up with them. Like these things go together because they're both signs that there's not something that there's something not right in your heart. Anger will show you what you really fear. Anger will show you what you most love, who you most love. Anger will expose you and expose your heart. It's not bad, anger just is. And Jesus isn't against anger per se. He's against what we tend to do with that anger in our hearts. Because what are the effects of anger? He says, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Look, as Jesus is exposing the anger in our hearts, he's saying, you know, you don't have to murder somebody physically. Though, you know, that's definitely on the table. But you can murder someone with your words. You can murder someone with your thoughts. You can murder someone by treating them as though they were dead to you. What Jesus is saying is that you can't really diminish the anger that's inside of you. That we can treat the damage that we do to people with our words or our actions so lightly because we don't see the trail of bodies that get left behind. But what he's saying is that there's real repercussions in people's lives. I mean, if you were to physically strike a person... I mean, maybe you would see like the effects of a bruise on their face or a cut on them. And you can say, oh my goodness, I did that. Gracious. But when you verbally strike a person, you don't really see the damage on the outside, do you? But the damage is on the inside and it's still damage. Jesus is saying here too uh, that there's a couple of different types of anger. And some of us fall in different categories here. Like there's angry outburst. Or, you know, you get mad and you just kind of verbally lash out at someone or something. It's kind of like this thunderstorm rolls in, shoots everything up with lightning, and then kind of rolls out and everything's sunny again. Like, there's that kind of sharp snap of an anger. But there's also that kind of slow bubbling anger that gets nursed, right? Or we kind of cultivate it in our hearts. Like, somebody annoys you or frustrates you, and that anger just builds and builds and builds. And you think, like, how can they act the way they act? Like, how can they say what they're saying? How can they think these things? How dare they say this to me? Aren't they just the worst? Like, ugh, this guy's talking again? Ugh, 
He's terrible. And you don't say it out loud, but you just nurse it in your chest over and over and over again. Thinking about why all the ways you think that person is terrible, maybe even fantasize about getting back at them, maybe even dreaming about, I don't know, killing them. Our hearts are deceitful. They're murky, and what's deceitful about sinful anger is it can feel like it's about the other person. Like, it's just, that guy's just the worst. Of course I hate him. But what it's really about is it's about us and about what's going on inside of us. I mean, it's completely self-centered. One guy said this. He said, it's impossible to become an angry person without being a self-obsessed person because it's always about us. Uh, One guy named Tim Kreider, he writes for the New York Times, he coined the term outrage porn to describe the news cycle of our current moment. He says this, he says, many contemporary people feed off feeling right, and then they feed off the anger of feeling wrong. Like, oh, look, those people are so terrible. The moral people over here, the good people over here, the people trying to make the world better. Like, we're over here huddled together doing our thing. And these terrible people out there, these subhuman trolls, are out there trying to just like burn the world down. And and they hate us. And so what we need to do is just go after them. It's this what he calls outrage porn. He says outrage porn resembles actual pornography. It aims at cheap orgasmic thrill at the expense of another human being, but without any personal accountability or commitment to that human being. So like, I hate that person, I love the thrill of hating that person, but I will not help that person. Do you know what one of the lies of our hearts is, is we're angry at people? Is that we can keep the anger to ourselves. And what Jesus is putting his finger on here is that it will spill out. It's like where our hearts are full of anger, like a cup that is brimming with hot, steaming water, and just one bump. And it'll come out of us. It spills out of someone's mouth. Raka, you fool. Treating someone as a nobody. Like just totally ghosting somebody. Somebody totally making it so that, you know, everyone knows what's going on except for this person. Everyone's a part of the group text except for this person. Everyone's invited but that one person. And what you've done in that is that you've treated that person as a nobody. And what Jesus is saying is that you're liable. Like they've annoyed you, now you've shut them out. And what I want to say is that's one of the most hurtful things that you can do. I mean, everyone here wants to belong, right? Like this has been a hard year because it's been a hard year to feel like we belong to anything as we like are separated in distance. I mean, one of the saddest conversations that I have as a pastor, but I have it routinely, is someone coming to me and telling me, hey, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I don't feel like I belong to a family. I don't feel like I have have friends. I I hear sometimes I don't feel like I belong in RUF. And maybe that's the effect of other people's anger in that person's life. Like they just got cut out because no one talked to them. Like when you treat someone like a nobody, what you're doing is you're declaring that this person who's made in the image of God is less than you, should be smudged out, rubbed out, And not only are you offending them, but you're sinning against God. I mean, one of the dumbest things that we've ever said, I think, was when we were kids, was that old kind of nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Gosh, how dumb is that? I mean, everybody here has been wounded by other people's words. Like, you carry people's words inside of you sometimes, 
And it's like they're on repeat and you hear them over and over and over again because someone lashed out at you and said something to you and it hurt. Like it verbally hurt you. And what Jesus wants us to see is that the roots of our sin are just as dangerous as the actions of that sin. And that we should grieve the sins in our lives that no one sees as much as we grieve the sins that everyone sees because it all comes from the same place. It all comes from our heart. So that's the effects of sin. What do we do with our anger? Well, he gives these two little illustrations about the urgency and the necessity of dealing with anger. Like he talks about a worship service and he talks about going to a courtroom, right? Like when he talks about the worship service, Jesus is putting his finger on the reality that you can't just do a sort of inner repentance, but that to actually practice, you know, turning from anger, you have to do something with it. You have to practice reconciliation. Like it's like if you, someone came into this room and right as we get going to worship, like, oh, actually, I think someone's mad at me. I need to go, and I need to go talk to that person, and we're going to work it out in the parking lot, and then I'll come back in. And maybe that's like awkward or uncomfortable, or it's like kind of dramatic. Jesus says that's worth it. There's an urgency to it, but there's also this necessity to it. Um, he gives that, this, court, this illustration of going to court with somebody, and basically what he's saying there is work out whatever you need to work out with this other person. Because what if this person that you that feels like you've offended them, actually brings you to someone with power over you, and they hear this case, and they judge against you. Like, wouldn't it just be better if you worked it out yourselves? What he's saying is that your relationship to God is more than just this vertical thing, but it's horizontal. That who you are before God is meant to spill out into the rest of your life with others, and if it doesn't, then there's this serious problem. And so as far as it's possible for us to do, we need to remove any roadblocks to relationship with one another. I mean, in my experience, the most spiritually mature people are the people who are first to repent to their friends and the people around them. And if Jesus is speaking to your life, guiding you through life, showing you your heart so you can repent of it, then what it should do is make you a more compassionate person. It should change the way you deal with anger. I can remember... um, before I got married and had kids, I would go on plane flights sometimes, and you'd like get packed in this like tight metal tube with all these strangers, and there would always be like the young mom with uh, like the the eight month old baby, and like she'd come on and I'd be like, oh, like rolling my eyes, like I can't believe this person would have the gall to bring a child onto this metal tube with all the rest of us who paid good money for a peaceful flight. And it's just going to, I mean, you knew when that started, like the next four hours are going to be horrible. And then I had kids. And the Stokes family doesn't fly a ton, but when we have flown, I've looked and seen people as we're walking down the aisle, like just kind of like scoot away from us or like roll their eyes like I used to do. And when I do, I always say a little pastoral prayer for them that they would one day have triplets. I'm joking. <laughs> but like, what that's done is that it should produce real compassion and humility when you see other people in your shoes. Look, Christians should be the last people to talk about those people out there. 
Like those people are the bad people. Those people are the terrible people. We are the ones who are trying to make the world better. We should be the last people to say that. This text from Jesus should completely destroy those notions. I mean there's no way you can demonize other people when you look into your heart and see this stuff. But our culture is full of people demonizing one another and Jesus doesn't allow that. This should free you to watch the news with some humility. And to see terrible things happening in the news and say, man, what is happening here is awful. But the only thing that's kept me from maybe doing something similar is that when I was mad, I didn't have a gun next to me. Or maybe I didn't grow up in a household where people told me that this way of thinking is okay. But gosh, if I had, I'd probably be right there marching with those folks. Like this should lead to some real humility Like in this age that's marked by division and anger and cursing and side-taking, people who are Christians should seek to bless instead of curse and should seek to be reconciled instead of create divisions. Like if you believe that the fundamental story of your life is about God having all the rights to be angry with you and just decimate you, but instead of using The right that he had there, he brought you close and he reconciled himself to you at the cost of his son and loved you and forgave you. Even knowing that you would still struggle with anger and all the other stuff you struggle with, he just wiped that out. If that's the fundamental story of your life, then what leg do you and I have to stand on and look at other people without any kind of humility? I mean, we should be radically inconvenienced to reach out to other people because that's what Jesus has done for us. This is also a place for friendship. I hope that everybody here has a friend that they would trust enough to say, hey, where do I get really angry? Like, where do you see me cutting people off in my life? Where do you see me being mad at people and not looking at them as though, you know, I'm this, I'm this wonderful person who like is not doing anything wrong and these people out there, those people, those are the bad people. Where do you see me doing that? Like we need friends that we can honestly ask those kinds of questions to because we just have tons of blind spots. I mean, our hearts are murky and we don't see our hearts very well. Also think this is not to waste your failures with anger. I mean, I fail all the time in anger, like all the time. I've got the short-lived lash-out anger. I've got the slow, bubbling anger. I'm like an expert. And our failures in anger are not good things. But if and when they happen, I want to say don't waste them. They're teaching you something about yourself. What do you fear? What do you think you need? What do you think life is really about? What do you think is more ultimate even than God? Like your anger teaches you about your heart, even if it's something that you don't want to see. And then this, we all have experience with anger that damages other people and hurts the people closest to us. And I mean, I do too. But damaging anger can make you want a healing savior. I mean, it can be so easy to keep up appearances like I'm doing good, I'm fine, I'm kind of managing other people's perceptions of me and their experience of me. And that's exhausting. 
But when you see the way your anger damages the people around you, you start to understand that your heart is broken. And it doesn't just have some sin in it, but it's actually a wash in sin. That you can't fix this on your own, and you actually need someone to come into your heart and to heal you. And that when you do, that's when the gospel can actually meet you in your brokenness and your sadness and make you cry out for a Savior to rescue you. Not just save me from the consequences of my sin, but save me from myself. Save me from my anger and my heart that is full of anger. I mean, anger actually teaches you that you need a Savior. Look, if you're here and you're wrestling with what to do with your anger, I don't assume that everybody here is a Christian, but if you are a Christian, know that you're not a forgiven version of the old you. You are a forgiven new you. You have the power of Jesus Christ at work in you. And the lies of the world and the flesh and the devil will tell you, you're not capable of being gentle. You're not capable of being kind. You're not capable of being reconciled to the people in your life that you've hurt or that have been hurt by you. But those are lies. Be led by Jesus into his life and into his kingdom. And as you do, find out that you're a new creation and you're created to do good works. Which dealing with your heart and dealing with your anger in your heart is one of the best ones you can do. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you call us um, out of our anger and into yourself. I thank you call us to know you, to follow you, to be forgiven by you. Lord, as we wrestle with our anger, as we wrestle with maybe the other side of that, which is sadness, as we lash out at people, God, as we kind of stew in our anger, Lord, I pray that you would meet us, that we would know ourselves as new people, as forgiven people, because you've looked at us and loved us, and you've made us that way. Lord, use the anger in our hearts to teach us to cry out to you. And as we do, God, I pray that we would find you seeking us. In your name we pray, amen.